0: Hey everyone, Jen Garrett here. It's so great to be back with you on another episode of Move the Ball. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, make sure that you do so so that you never miss an episode. Now today, inside the huddle with us and ready to help us to move the ball is Mr. Peter Taunton. Peter is a pioneer in the fitness industry and an expert at understanding consumer desires and fulfilling them. Back in 2003, Peter had a vision for Snap Fitness, which we will get into later, And he set that vision into motion. Today, there are Snap Fitness franchises in 2,500 locations across 26 countries. Peter also acquired and founded several brands to round out the consumer fitness experience, such as Nine Round, Ferrells, Yoga Fit, Steel Fitness, and Fitness On Demand. Together with Snap Fitness, these brands make up one of the world's largest wellness franchise organizations with over 6,000 locations and serving 165 million workouts and counting. Now, I could go on and on, but let's hear from the amazing Peter himself. Peter, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, hi, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure.
0: Well, I'm, I'm so excited to have you here. You're such an accomplished person. I love your passion. I love your energy. And I'm so very excited to chat with you today because you are someone who truly knows how to make things happen and move the ball. So there were a number of places that as I was thinking about our conversation, there were different places I could start. but. Let's start off with uh, you as a kid. I know you, uh, you've kind of had this entrepreneurial spirit your whole life, but you were a shy kid. Tell us about when you were eight years old, your dad had a grocery store. Talk to us about what you were doing at eight.
1: So I was a typical eight-year-old. I, I have an identical twin. I should share that with you. Identical twin, and, and we are the youngest of seven kids. So and my dad had this small grocery store in, in our hometown where we grew up in the Midwest, in Wilmer, Minnesota. My brothers and sisters, everybody worked in the grocery store. It was, just, it was just kind of a rite of passage that when you got to a certain age, it was not an option. You were going to work. And when my twin and I turned eight years old, my dad said, okay, guys, it's time to go to work. My dad, was, he's a real old school guy. You're either going to school, you're playing sports, or you're working for him. He, he kept you busy. That was probably a good idea because I was just a typical rambunctious kid. Keeping me busy served me well. So anyway, um, that was my first chapter of literally going to work, having to show up, be on time, you know, really take the bull by the horns, pop popcorn. In, and as, as trivial as that is, but you know what? You've got to go into the store. you got to buy the popcorn, get the oil, pop it. You're sitting behind the stand. It's a, another level of accountability. And you're not being accountable to your parents. You're being accountable to your customers and, and to the responsibility of the job.
0: Sure. And what was the biggest lesson that you learned from that experience?
1: Well, it's, it's kind of funny, and I, I I tell this story all the time, but it's so true and it's so real. As I as I sit here today in my fifties, I never would thought that that first lesson I learned at eight years old would hold true today. And I, and I tell you, it was it was a Saturday morning. My father walks by by walks by my popcorn stand, gets about forty feet past me. He stops in his tracks. He pivots and he comes straight back towards me. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did I do? And I'm kind of going through my mental checklist. And, He stops and he says, hey, son, how are sales? And I was going to give him my little eight-year-old dissertation of why sales were kind of slow that day. I I spit out about 15 words and he goes, son, it's slow because you're sitting behind the counter. You're not getting out from behind that counter and going and and chasing your business. You're letting the business come to you rather than going and getting the business. And I said, all right. So uh, when when my dad walked away, I started, I walked around the counter to where the people were and I would approach people and say, hi, would you like some popcorn? I just popped it. It's fresh. It tastes great. And Well, naturally, my sales about doubled. And I realized that first lesson, hey, look, don't just wait for things to happen. Go make things happen. And that's true in just about everything you're pursuing in your life.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people, they just kind of sit back. As you mentioned, they're more reactive or waiting for those things instead of being out there creating the opportunities right? Trying to to get sales or or make things happen. So that's great that you learned that at a really young age and have taken that. It's obviously worked well for you in your career. So it's a great lesson to to learn as a kid. So let's chat about Snap Fitness. You had this vision to create an affordable 24 seven results driven gym that was differentiated from the other big gyms and that traditional experience. Talk to us more about how did that vision come to be for you?
1: Well, I had been in the fitness space for 20 years prior to starting Snap Fitness. And when I, when I sold my, my other small chain of health clubs, and they were called America's Fitness Centers, there were seven of them. When I sold those, there was one particular employee of mine who had been with me for about 12 years, and he was just such a great guy. He didn't, he didn't transition well from my, my leadership style to the leadership of the new owners. After about six months of selling my, that company, he kept coming back to me saying, hey, Peter, would you consider building another club? I'll run it for you. He was really uncomfortable where he was at. And I said no several times, but it pushed me into a place to where I said, look, what I was apprehensive about was just spending all the capital on building these big clubs with indoor pools and all these things and racquetball courts and aerobic studios. It was a, it was a, a lot of capital required to get one open. So I started chipping away at some of the things. I said, look, you know what? I'm not going to have swimming pools. I'm not going to have climbing walls. I'm not going to have daycare. I'm not going to have aerobic classes. So I chiseled this thing down to about a four to 6,000 square foot club. So it was literally about a tenth the size. And instead of having 60 employees, I had two and they were open 24 hours. And so I wanted to make sure that the product that I brought to market was still relevant. So it had lots of cardio equipment it had lots of strength, lots of, uh, lots of selectorized equipment. So you or I could go into that gym and have everything we need to get fit. Okay. If you wanted to swim or you needed childcare, that was not your answer, but for the masses, it worked for 75% of the population who wanted to exercise. This was absolutely perfect form. So I launched my first club in 2003, and it literally my timing was right. The product was right. I didn't cut any corners at all. It really represented itself well. It was very relevant. You know what? The first year, I think I opened 12 clubs. The second year, I went from 12 to opening about 60. And by the the third year, I was opening 100 plus. And believe it or not, boy, it was either the fourth or the fifth year, fourth year, I opened 377 new stores in one year with, with one brand, Snap Fitness. So every day, more than one a day, I was opening. And I'm not talking about signing a lease. I'm talking about a new club opening every day. It's amazing.
0: Wow, that's impressive. Are, as you continued to scale that, were there any lessons that you learned early on that you were glad that you learned early in the process?
1: Well, you know what? I've always been very detailed. And that's just my mindset. I'm, my attention to detail is how I run my life um, with, with a daily to-do list, as an example. So I'm very methodical on what I do so things don't slip through the cracks. I, I, I hold myself to a very high level of accountability. And for me, those systems and processes that I put in place when I was doing three or four clubs a month it was the same process when I was doing 30 clubs a month. All I would do is add more resources. So what I'm, what what I think I'm very good at is casting people in the right role. But then, secondly, getting people to stay in their lane, so they just focus on your part of the of the ball game. All right, it's just like uh, you know, you don't want a linebacker worried about what the running backs got. You just everybody's got to stay in their lane. And the, the same applies for this. And it's it served me very, very well. And when you walked into my, my headquarters, when we were opening a club every day, there was not people running around there with their hair on fire. Everybody was very calm. And it was a really well run machine.
0: That's great. And what do you think? I mean, aside from making sure that everyone was staying in their lane, were there any other uh, cultural things that you did, or or practices you put into place to make sure that it was running well, and not like you know people running around with their their heads cut off. Because I've been in businesses where it's been utter chaos every day, and those are not fun businesses, right? Or healthy businesses to to operate in.
1: Well, you know what I think. I see it a lot, and today I do a lot of mentoring with uh, with entrepreneurs, both young and old, and and established and just getting started and i I tell you what i think the biggest problem that many businesses experience are due to over leveraging of the company okay they lack patience so they they get they get patience and trajectory confused and then capital so what ends up happening is they want to go out they want to raise money because they think money money is what's going to give them the trajectory that that they need and that's not always the case If, if if anything goes sideways in your business you could have a huge problem on your hands, which is essentially what happened in, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, in, in the real estate crisis. The banking world changed, and people that were overlevered they felt it.
0: Yeah, completely agree. So, one of your management philosophies is that success is ten percent what happens to you and ninety percent how you react to it. Share with us what that means to you and how that uh, philosophy has really helped you as you've continued on with Snap Fitness or growing any of the other businesses.
1: Business is, is like life, right? They, they mirror each other. You're going to have adversity in your life and you have to come to expect it. I will tell you, I've got, I have many friends that have done very, very well in their lives. And when we're sitting around huddling and, and having a beer and just talk, talking about our lives and our businesses, every one of us will tell you that all of the learning experience, all of the growth that we had as individuals came through times of adversity. And I tell you what, anyone can anyone can run a company when the wind is at your back and it's just smooth sailing. You, the, the decisions aren't tough and you've got unlimited cash flow. It, th- that's a very easy company to run. You can get away with things because you have this cash to help bail yourself out. But when you're trying to build a business in times of adversity, it's a it's a challenging moment. So I try to prepare people, number one, to be, be patient. And that, that's a big word. And that's a mouthful. But be patient in what life throws at you and what your business throws at you, and, and then be prepared. Once again, some people's issues that they have within their business, it's self-inflicted. Why? They over Maybe they pulled too much cash out of the business once they started to get some, some uh, momentum. And I see that happen, too. Suddenly, what are they doing? They're driving a new car. They bought themselves a new boat. They're taking fancier vacations. And I, I tell you what I, I I'm all about give yourself a little set yourself goals and give yourself a little bonus here and there. But if you're trying to self-fund your business, tell you what. hold on to that cash. be hold it at sacred sacred money and and spend it within your business, not outside of your business.
0: yes. Re- reinvest into the the growth of the business versus splurging on the uh, the material things or the nice things that we all like to show as a measure of success. but, Maybe yeah. that cat I mean, could be
1: used. And you know what, Jennifer? We're dealing with it right now with the quarantine. I mean, nobody saw the quarantine coming. Nobody, nobody saw C nineteen coming. And I, I tell you what, there are hundreds of thousands of businesses out there today across this country that are hanging on by a thread. They're hanging on by a thread. Many of them had two to three months maybe of dry powder in the bank because they thought they thought that their business was going to continue to thrive and and uh, you know what? It just came and blindsided absolutely everyone.
0: So share with us, passion is, some, is a word that's important to you. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, they... They embark on the entrepreneurial journey because they're passionate about something. Sometimes people give up too soon because they don't see the results that they want. Um, but I guess what advice would you give to people that if they're passionate about something and maybe they're not yet seeing the outcomes that they were hoping for as quickly to keep on going and continue to pursue that passion?
1: Well, I talk about know, patience and perseverance, right? That no quit attitude and everyone, especially if you're if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to and you're trying to um, develop a startup, trying to create a concept, and, you know as an entrepreneur, you're either taking an existing product and trying to enhance it, or you're trying to blaze a trail with something new and innovative. And the latter is significantly more money and and riskier, but in in many cases, far more rewarding. So it's what I just try to tell people is look, having passion, it's it's important, but make sure your passion is controlled, and it's. And, it's, and you're not like a wild horse or like a dog chasing your tail. Uh, understand what it is you want to do. And if you've got to write things down in a chronological order to keep yourself on task and on point, by all means, do it. But, you know, having somebody who's extremely passionate but lacks direction and focus, that's not going to get you anywhere.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, you definitely have to have that direction, focus, making sure that you, you've got a plan so that you can execute and also to pivot too. when you uh, when we're in moments like COVID-19. I mean, for me as an entrepreneur, I've had to considerably shift kind of my primary focus from my brand, but I actually embrace the adversity and I've welcomed that challenge because I enjoy what I've been doing with this move the ball brand. It's really just shifting so that we can continue to be a viable business and offer the services that uh, that present opportunities right now but uh, but having that plan it's easy especially in times of uncertainty to get discouraged and to not have that patience or that perseverance to weather through the storm weather through the obstacle such as what we're dealing with with covid Nineteen, and I think by just writing things down and staying focused, it's easy to continue to persevere and remain uh, committed to your goals and to your journey. Versus if you don't kind of have that focus, it's easy to get distracted by all the noise and yeah. everything that's going on.
1: Absolutely, and focused passion is is it's beautiful. And to me, I, I think that if you ask any of my employees when I was back running my companies. Uh, that's one thing that they loved about me. I'm very passionate about what I do, but I'm very, uh, I'm very organized. And and passion is contagious. So I think people like it. People fueled off it. I think it's a necessity when you're in a people facing uh, business to, to, that 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 your that leader has passion because nobody wants a, a leadership that comes in like Eeyore out of Winnie the Pooh. You you want to have energy and and enthusiasm, and you want to be able to fire people up and inspire those around you.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, one of the things that I write about in my book, Move the Ball, is that great leaders, great athletes in life, they have what I call energy that energizes, because it's really about owning that energy that you bring into any room with you so that you can use that to fire up the people that are on your teams and get them excited to do great things. I'm glad that you you mentioned the energy. Um, so share with us, what has been the most satisfying moment for you being an entrepreneur?
1: For me, I always measured my success as an entrepreneur by with money. And I, I don't know why, probably because at the time I didn't have a lot. But when I started Snap Fitness and, and was growing that company, I started it with my own capital, myself and the bank, so I didn't have any partners. I grew the company to about five million of EBITDA and it traded at a twenty-time multiple. So it was at the time it was valued at about hundred million dollars. And I sold forty forty percent of the company for 47 million. And it was a cash deal, no debt on the company. My most memorable moment, I was walking down the first fairway at Spring Hill Golf Course, and my phone rang, and it was my attorneys and accountants, and they said the the funds have, have landed in your account. And literally, I, you know, I went to my little mobile app and I saw 47 million in my checking account and uh, literally, you know, my eyes welled up as I was, I had done it at that point in my life. I actually did it. You know, I actually did it. It was, the money was in the account. And so that was the first bite of the apple for me and was very sweet. I ended up doing it again five years later where I sold for about the same amount again. I sold like 19% or 16%. Um, So today I still own 44% of lip brands and I'm sure in the next few years we'll sell the balance. But it's, you know, and that's, that's part of being an entrepreneur. That's what I talk about all the time is you have to create a concept. So that's part of it. And when I talk to entrepreneurs, I ask them, what's your exit strategy? Because a plan is not a plan without an entry and an exit. Correct. Yeah. I walk them through it. So anyway.
0: Got it. And so winning in both business and in sports is all about overcoming obstacles, embracing that adversity. Can you share with us an example of an obstacle you had to overcome and lessons that you learned to help tackle that situation and be able to move the ball?
1: Well, in, in business, I've had... The hardest thing for me is I, I create such you know amazing relationships with my employees because I genuinely, I expect a lot of them, especially those in leadership positions. So it's, it, it, it's heartbreaking for me when I have one of my employees and I had one in particular that, that stole literally embezzled about three and a half million from me and stole it. And he did that over a period of time, very clever the way that he did it. It was a, a plan that he had implemented. He was destined to get caught, but he was just, it was a, a shell game. And, you know, so that kind of broke, broke my heart. It was a surreal moment for me that somebody that I entrusted so much and that was who I considered a friend would would steal to the company at that level. And that that not only affects me, that affects 100 employees as well. That's that's an adult number. So th- that was a great lesson for me to learn. You know, we tightened things down a lot. That, that was really a, you know, a character building moment for me.
0: Sure. Yeah, it's not just about the the theft of the money, but it's the betrayal of the trust of someone on your team.
1: Yeah, and it was one of my one of my early employees, like my sixth employee of the company. You know, so it's really unfortunate, really, really unfortunate. But it it, it happens. That happens, and things happen for a reason. You know what? We got through it. It was no fun, but it is what it is.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a chapter in my book where I, I call it "Recognize the Blitz," where it's about People that uh, intentionally do things to set you back or uh, try to see you fail, or they, they just do things that break your trust, right? And so, I think it's important that, uh, unfortunately, there are people out there like that, um, but we have to learn from that situation. It's a painful situation. Um, I do believe that everything happens in our lives for a reason, like you mentioned, and uh, so we just have to take the lessons from those unfortunate situations and then figure out how we can continue to, to grow From there, So share with us. You you talked about having great people that you work with. Um, Tell us about a time when someone had dropped the ball. Someone on your team drops the ball on something critical. How do you handle that situation?
1: People dropping the ball is that is just life. And I think in any good leadership that you you want to be able to empower. I don't think that I could have grown my company at the at the speed that I did or with the great people that I had hired. I don't think I could have kept them around without empowering them to make decisions. And so I think when I, when I look at my role within the company, and my role was the vision of where, of where the company should head to, in order to stay relevant to the consumer. That was first and foremost, my goal. The second goal was to cast people in the right role and mentor them and, and, and empower them to make decisions. So when you do that, it's it's fulfilling for the person who you empower because they feel like they have some skin in the game, and that's a beautiful thing. And that's how you get that's how you get custo- or uh, employee loyalty from when they feel like you entrust them, and when they make mistakes and or they get a little bit sloppy, then what I would do is I would pull them aside. Or it would always drive people crazy when I was at a, when I'm in the boardroom with them, and I would say, "Look, I guess we're just average. I guess we're just an average company." And because they knew that I was a complete overachiever and there was nothing, nothing in my life that I ever wanted to be average. So when I said to look, we're just not that good, let's just face it. We're not that good. We're sloppy. And, you know, I would let that breathe a little bit in the room when everyone would break, they learned that lesson and they believe me, it drove them. They hated it. They hated that. It was like a father being disappointed in their son or daughter. And then when we would break, whoever was materially, at fault for whatever the issue was, I would, I would have them stay. And then I, and then without everybody else knowing, and then I would just say, Hey, look, I understand what you did. I understand that we whiffed and you're better than that. So next time if you, you've got questions or ask, I'm, it's not, it's not that you made the mistake. It's that you had resources around you that you didn't utilize. That's what, that's, what's concerning to me. So I, I will hope that they learn from it and they can step forward and they can be a, a better employee.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, I think it's important to empower employees to acknowledge if someone did drop the ball, then you have that conversation and then you let them know that you're supported too. you, right? That they're, they're not losing their job, but let's do better next time. We're in this together. Sometimes
1: people have underlying circumstances that get in the way, personal issues that get in the way. And then we address those, you know, as need be. But you know, for the most part, I've been, I've been very blessed. I've hired some amazing people over, over the last 30 years.
0: So share with us, um, I know that you have said that one of the regrets that you've had in your life is that you didn't dance enough and that uh, you're committed to living more of life on purpose. So what are some of the things that you're doing now to live a more purposeful life or do the things that you really find fulfilling?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I really am not motivated by money anymore, um, although I like I like building a company. I just launched a CBD oil company here a couple of weeks ago. So I, I want it to be a great company. I want it to grow and be amazing. I know the product is amazing and I know that it's different. There's a lot of CBD oil companies out there. I didn't just want to be another me too. So for things that I do, if I'm going to bring something to the market, I'm going to make sure that it's something that can be a market maker. That's it. noticeably different from from what's there. Number one, number two, the um, the mentoring that I'm doing with not only young entrepreneurs but older entrepreneurs, and and it's not always just about business. It's about life too. And it's very easy for me to segue from my business life into my personal life, and and what it's like to transition into retirement. Um, after you've been flying the plane, leading the charge for the last thirty years, some people have a very difficult time doing that. How do they transition into into a more subtle, subtle role. Or, you know, sometimes it feels like you're sitting at home and everyone else is going to school. So how do you get your head around that mindset? And then my philanthropy and, and what is what is what I found to be the most rewarding for me and believe it or not, um, Jennifer, I, I really enjoy I get on this bike of mine that, that I bought a bike and I bought this trailer on Amazon. And I go to the local bakeries and drug, and grocery stores around here and I get cookies and cupcakes and and bottled water. And I, and I ride my bike into the hood of Miami and just roll up on the homeless and visit with them and talk about life and talk about how they get there. And and I'm just, I become a friend. I make friends and that does more for me than it does for them. I promise you.
0: So I think that's great that you do that. I mean, one thing that when I talk about people moving the ball, it's not just about your own personal success or business success. It's about really making a difference and impacting others around you. And so I think that's great that you do that. So talk to us yeah. a little bit more about, you mentioned that, you know, you're just launching this company, uh, Elevator. Tell us more about yes. it.
1: Yeah. So Elevator, I'm not doing it through brick and mortar. I'm doing it through retail, through the web. Uh, that's where the consumers are heading anyway, if they're not there already. So my product, it's, it's gluten-free, GMO-free, organic. There's no, no THC in it. It's a great product. My topical lotions, they absorb into the skin very, very easily. My tinctures, which is the drops under the tongue, very, very high absorption rate, about a 90%. The people that are on other CBD products, when they try mine they they have a noticeable difference and it's and it's through liposermal encapsulation, which is just a fancy word for how the product is absorbed into your system. And what you don't want is product just to be just to pass through your system. You want it to be absorbed. So C B D is the Tylenol of the future. And I'm like I was skeptic at first, but I've been taking it for about three years now. And I'm a believer. C B D is the Tylenol of the future. I take it twice a day and I absolutely love it.
0: Great. Thanks for sharing. And uh, people can check out your your company, Elevare at eleverlabs.com. We'll be sure to put that in the show notes as well. So yeah, you guys listening you. Can, can check it out. And so let's talk about the importance of taking care of your health as a leader. I mean, far often, I, I see people, they put their health on the back burner because they're just busy with work and family commitments and, and everything else. Sometimes I'm guilty of this. I have five kids. Um, And so uh, it's easy to make your, your self-care, not much of a priority. So what advice would you give to people? What, you know, words of wisdom, because if you want to perform at your best level and best serve others, you got to take care of yourself. So as somebody that's in this industry, I guess, what motivational words can you share to kind of get people focused on their self-care?
1: Well, I think you need to have a plan and a, a routine is critical. You know, there was a military guy, I saw it on, on YouTube. They say he makes make the bet. The first thing he does every day, he makes his bet. I do the same thing, but I mean... It's it, it, it literally getting into routine in the morning, and then the must-haves, that the non-negotiables. I mean, for me, getting about forty-five minutes, forty-five to fifty minutes of exercise every day—that's a non-negotiable. Now, do I miss a few here and there? Absolutely, but not very often. I'm I get probably six to seven days a week. I'm I'm training forty-five to fifty minutes a day, and that's, that's great for my physical It's great for my mental health, you know? So I think it's your, your physical health, your, your having balance with your family and your friends is important. And then, and then with with, the, with your faith, you just, just, you know, have a well-balanced life. Don't sit, don't get up in the morning, go to work until your head hits the pillow at night and you're, you're not uh, present when you're with your family or with your, or with your girlfriend or whatever it might be. Just, you know what? Focus on, being present and and understanding that there's more to life than than work all the time, and that, that's that's a hard lesson to learn because especially those of us that are overachievers and we we completely immerse ourselves in these businesses and we wake up one day and and suddenly ten years has blown by. So that's why when I say I, I wish I had danced more, hey look, I've got I have a hell of a lot to show for it, but. Um, If I had it to do over again, Jennifer, I would have, I would have done it differently. I would have danced more. I would have spent more time with, with my family and my friends and had more of those moments. But um, I don't want to be too hard on myself on it. I had no plan B. So there was no plan B. I didn't, I'm not some little trust fund baby. I'm a self-made guy. And I think the fear of loss is what drove me so hard because I literally had no plan B. So I just noticed the grindstone. I gave it what it took and I, I was just determined.
0: Well, I like that you talked about making sure that you're fully present because I think a lot of times we half show up for events with our family, you know, we're not really in the conversation, we're checking our phones or not paying attention. And uh, I remember years and years ago, I heard a woman say that your kids would rather have you be there for like, for example, at a sporting event, they'd rather have you show up to the sporting event once and be fully present than be there every single game and be on your phone the whole time. Right. Right. And so it is about that, that presence. That's something I've really been working on. I know, you know, that my dad had passed away very unexpectedly. That really taught me a lot because I like you work, work, work. I was always so busy. And so I've really been over the last four years, trying to be very intentional with what I say yes to. And I say no to a lot of things, Uh, things that can make me money. But if it just doesn't align with my core being or what I want to spend my time on, I just say no to it. And so I think when you realize the importance of being present every single day, it's easier to say no to the things that don't align with your core purpose.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well said.
0: So now what I want to do is I want to transition to my two-minute drill, which is just seven fun questions. Are you ready? Yeah,
1: I am ready. Let's have it.
0: Okay. First one is, what is your favorite food?
1: Lasagna. My mother's lasagna.
0: Okay. Uh, how about, what is your favorite movie? Braveheart. That's a good movie. I love how it, about,
1: right?
0: Yes, yes. It's a classic. How about, what is your favorite professional sports team?
1: I'd have to say the Minnesota Vikings, just because I grew up in Minnesota.
0: Gotcha. Well, I am looking forward to. So, I'm a Bears fan from Chicago, but uh, oh, right. <laughs> uh, but I will say that um, I did have a few guys on my podcast uh, right before the NFL draft. I did this Path to the Draft series, and a couple of the guys that I had on the show actually got picked up by the Vikings. So, Josh oh. Metellus, uh, Harrison Hand. So, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing nice. how well they do uh, this year when they're not playing the Bears. I'll yeah, right that. up. Right. <laughs> Yeah. um how about what is the best piece of advice that you've gotten from a coach or a mentor
1: you know what i think it's I, the, the the first lesson was the one my dad taught me when i was eight and that, that's a hard one not to say that that's that shouldn't be the one because it's i learned at that early age go get it if you want something in life whether business or life go get it it's not going to fall in your lap you got to chase it down
0: Absolutely. Now let's flip it. And what's the best piece of advice that you would give someone?
1: I would tell them uh, patience. I would tell them patience works in life and it works in business. You have to have both of them. And determination are, are two things. I mean, and if I go beyond that, then I'm going get to get into being well capitalized. And it's going to be, here's the fundamentals that you need to start a business. But just if I could give two things two two great qualities to have patience and determination because there are going to be times in your life that you're going to you're going to want to quit and you just got to you got to suck it up you got to get up you got to dust yourself off and you got to press forward
0: i like that how about what is one thing that most people don't know about you
1: probably i was shy as a kid you know that would be that would be something also, yeah, I, I'd say that's probably what most people don't know. I can be shy sometimes, not very often, and observe and laugh with friends. So I, I'm well aware of my surroundings, and I'm well aware of the expectations that people have of me. And, and if I'm, especially if I'm at an event.
0: Got it. And the last question is: If you could be any superhero, who would you be and why?
1: Uh, that's Superman for sure, because the guy can fly. I think he's got like laser eyes, right? He could burn you. Yes. Um, so, I mean, he's kind of the full Monty in terms of superheroes, right? <laughs> you know, Incredible Hulk would be fun, but he's always jacking up his clothes. Every time he freaks out, he gets he's got to get a new wardrobe. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Superman for sure.
0: OK, and now as we wrap up today's show, tell our listeners what's the best way to follow you. And if you have any last thoughts.
1: Yeah. The best way to follow me is, is Instagram. And you can tell why I'm not the creative marketing director. My Instagram handle is Peter underscore Taunton, my last name, T-A-U-N-T-O-N. So Peter underscore Taunton. And I do, most of my posts are, are business related or life related. But if you watch my stories, that's my life. So that is my life, whether I'm going on a bike ride or if I'm not on my boat or my plane or whatever I'm doing, that's, that's my life. And I think that that is an interesting perspective. So when, when I talk about balance, people can see how I balance my life because it's, I don't sit around and just do podcasts and talk business all the time. I I do have a life and a family. And so I think it's important for people to see that balance as well.
0: Sure. And we'll be sure to put your Instagram handle in the show notes too. So people can check you out and see your stories and how you're living that balanced life. Peter, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on today's show. It's been a pleasure chatting with you.
1: No, Jennifer, my my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. And thanks again to everyone for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball check out my website at www.jenniferagarrett.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball
1: movement.